Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 111. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us today, this Friday, Steelers Nation. It's opening day for the Pirates, and so it's a, it's a good day overall, Dave. Yeah, look, uh, the, the Penguins won last night, and really a must-win kind of uh, situation there. It was uh, an entertaining game to watch with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury back in town. Uh, they won that. The Pirates are winning. Uh, as you mentioned, the uh, the home opener, that'll be something to look forward to today. And uh, pre-draft visitors continue to come in uh, uh, this past week, so a lot to talk about uh, there. We have the draft roundtable section uh, that we promised everybody in this podcast today. We got contracts hitting. Happy Friday. It's <laughs> it, it, Happy Friday, Alex. Yeah, happy Friday indeed. And so a little bit later, we'll have on uh, part one of this roundtable series with Tyler Wise, Joe Camaroto, Owen Straley, and Ross McCorkle getting their thoughts on the draft and what moves the Pittsburgh Steelers may make. And so we'll toss it to them in just a little bit. We'll have another portion of the crew on, including guys like Josh Carney, uh, Tom Meach, Jonathan Hytrid, or others uh, sometime either next week or the week after, sometime uh, before the draft. But Dave, uh, yeah, really still being kept busy here by the Steelers pre-draft business as they're kind of, you know, winding down, getting close to that 30 number. We know almost all of those names right now. And so uh, I'll get kind of run through the most recent names that have come through. And yesterday, the four names who visited Pittsburgh, some really interesting ones here in Steve Abelia, the guard from TCU, Darius Rush, the corner from South Carolina, Keon White, the DN slash edge from Georgia Tech. And how about this one? Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback from Oregon, viewed as one of the top corners in this year's draft. What do you make of that list of four names there, Dave? Yeah, look, uh, an impressive list and guys that I think are easy to connect the dots to uh, when it, when it, when it comes to the Steelers. And uh, I don't think we've talked uh, a ton about uh, 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 Darius Rush out of South Carolina, but I mean, he definitely profiles as a guy that you you would think they would be. Look, they've looked at a lot of corners uh, in this class for sure, and for obvious reasons. On uh, on top of that, Christian Gonzalez. I mean, I know you got it really, really excited about that. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what it says overall. You know, look, uh, uh, and as you pointed out, every, everybody on this list, they're, they're you know on this pre-draft visitor list, you know when the dust settles there might be two maybe three that end up being draft picks maybe maybe more we'll we'll obviously see but uh uh is this more of a you know less you know a kid that we really like that we probably know that we're not going to be able to draft but you know he could be, could potentially become a free agent down the line and you want to get to know these guys and as as is usually the case four years five years after the fact we circle back when 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 looking at potential free agents that the Steelers might be uh, looking, looking at. So, I mean, uh, it goes without saying, I I think I don't have to twist your arm on on this. If Christian Gonzalez was available at, at at 17th overall, you they'll probably run that card up on that. I guess the other uh, 
question people have is, 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 is that a guy that they could potentially trade up for? You know, you and I had mm-hmm. to talk uh, the other day about, you know, you know, thinking more along the lines of, of a tackle. Uh, I still think it would, I, I guess it depends on how far he falls, right? You know, if he got uh, what it would cost to go up to get a guy, I wouldn't think that whoever, if the, if the students were to move up for anybody in this class, I couldn't see it being a, 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 a jump similar to the one that they made with Devin Bush years ago. Uh, I would think that it would be a three or four spot jump, maybe at most. And then, you know, the question that becomes once again is, is, is Gonzalez in that range and all. But uh, I think a lot of people that you would talk to overall when it comes to the, the this year's cornerback class would probably have Christian Gonzalez at, 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 at cornerback one. Yeah, and we'll get Owen's thoughts, and he kind of has the, the the same opinion now. You know, uh, Devon Witherspoon from Illinois, he just had his workout. He was healthy, ran reportedly in the low 4-4s, high 4-3s. And so, you know, those guys will all battle for that top spot. There may not be that clear-cut top corner as there have been in some past classes, but I was excited and frankly surprised to see Gonzalez's name come in considering really the, the non- interest it seemed they had in him prior to this point of course not going out west not being in that Oregon pro day not really sending anybody besides I think Mark Bruner was the only person there their west or kind of one of their their western-ish area scouts and so what does this mean you know it's I think one of three camps you can kind of this interpretation of why they're bringing in Christian Gonzalez and I think one is they're you know exploring a potential trade-up two they had, they want his name on file for, as you mentioned, you know, five years from now when he might hit for agency, you have a real good uh, feel for, you know, who Christian Gonzalez is. And then three, this team has obviously done a ton of work on the cornerback class, the day one, the day two type of guys. Why not talk to the top guy in Gonzalez and see how, you know, that benchmark is set and how the top corner looks compared to the other guys you've talked to to kind of really see Okay, who's kind of similar in the way that they approach things and their mindset and the football IQ, how they break down film. So, you know, sometimes you want to you want to watch that top guy just to know what the standard of the class is to compare everything else to. Maybe that's one reason why they wanted to bring Gonzalez in, but it's certainly notable. And then with Rush, I've talked about him quite a bit. I think he's a sleeper in this class. I know his teammate Cam Smith gets all the attention, potential first round pick. I think Rush, former wide receiver, supreme athlete, good man cover corner, a bit raw some injury history, but this is a guy that's a really good athlete that could, I think, thrive in Pittsburgh's more man-heavy scheme. And when it comes to a guy like uh, Steve Avilia out of TCU, we talk about him later later on in this roundtable session as well, too. I, I kind of wonder if they, you know, uh, because of their action with, with, with the guards and free agency and all like that, uh, he does have some center in his background as well, too. So maybe this is just another look at a guy that, that has position versatility and, and we'll obviously see where he lands. I think most people will say that, that uh, whatever team drafts him, probably going to give him a first look at guard, but he does have center. He is a center capable guy as well, too. So there may, maybe, maybe some teams, including the Steelers are, 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 are maybe more potential, potentially uh, interested in that center work. Yeah, and Pittsburgh seems to be one of those teams, and I'm still trying to figure out why they're doing so much homework on the interior position, even some pure guards like Osiris Torrance, who came in for a pre-draft visit, I believe, on Wednesday. Um, you know, Chandler Savala was primarily guarded NC State, so I'm just trying to reckon 
what they're looking for there, if they're really truly still looking to add along the interior offensive line, especially as, as more true guards as opposed to center. But even at center, um, you know, Mason Cole did just fine last year. Now this team needs a backup and JC Haas and I were just a, just signed with the Giants. And so you kind of officially lost him, but you don't have to spend a day one, day two pick on, on a backup center. So I'm still not sure what to make of that, but certainly the interest there has been real. And once again, some of these guys might be looked. We want to get to know this guy in case it comes down, you know, four years, five years down the road, uh, uh, looking at add some free agents. Sure. And I know I've gotten the question, you know, Pittsburgh, they really seem to be concentrating their top 30 visits on the day two type of guys that you have not seen a lot of day three candidates, a couple in Tanner Ingle and, you know, potentially Broderick Martin, Clayton Toon, but you've seen a lot of heavy concentration on day two. And I think that's generally kind of how they approach things if a guy falls. And also this team, you know, has a, a pretty heavy amount of draft picks through the first two days of the draft. They got three in the top 50, they got four in the top 80. And so they're going to have extra visits for those day two guys, considering they have extra capital uh, on day two of the draft. Good point. Yeah. And then Keon White's a guy I've not studied much. He's a kind of maybe their tweener in Pittsburgh, 280. You know, I think kind of used more as a classic 4-3 type of end. Um, I didn't do the report on him. Um, so I don't have a ton of insight on Keon White. Again, he's got some size. He's got length, um, you know, played in the power five. I, I just don't know if he's going to be, you know, really in true contention somewhere on probably later day two. Yeah, I guess of all the guys that they brought in uh, on on Thursday, he was the most surprising. Yeah, um, and again, where does he fit in the system? I'm kind of reading over the profile we have on him. You know, hot and cold prospect, um, needs to be more consistent, you know, some tools and traits, but sounds like a guy that kind of has some work to do. Yeah. I have, um, I have, I've only watched just, uh, what I, what I, what I searched out yesterday after he came in, just some, you know, highlight clips on him. What's his actual frame go? I want to get the exact, uh, measurables like, though. Any like 270, 280 or something? Yeah, he's kind of weight's been up and down. I mean, he came in, I mean, at the combine, 6'6", 285 with 34 inch arms. So he might be viewed more as a, as a five tech, as a base end. And, you know, maybe a little bit light, but has that 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 frame, the height, the length, especially to, to play true base end. Yeah, I wonder what he play. I wonder if he dropped some to get uh, ahead of the combine. That's a good question. I'll see what Georgia Tech lists him at. That's a dangerous thing to go off of just pure listings. Um, they're going to list him at, if I can pull up his page here, 286 was what they had on their okay. website. Again, that's not you know super reliable, but it's basically in line with his combine actual weight. Right. So, and and is he a guy that could easily put, you know, uh, I mean, he's got a pretty, pretty, pretty sturdy frame, right? Yeah. If you're 6'6", six, six, I mean, you only need to be 295, 300 probably w- would work fine. So actually, you know, maybe less of a tweener than I initially thought before revisiting those numbers and, you know, would have to add a little bit, but he's kind of got that profile, that base end. Mm-hmm. Big, long, long arms too, 34 and some mm-hmm. uh, 10 and eight, eight, one eighth inch hands there. So uh, it does kind of feel like maybe they are looking at him at potential, you know, uh, uh, d- defensive end. Yeah. So right now we're at 25 known visits out of the 30, maybe get a couple more next week, but that's basically going to be the list. Um, and so again, this list here, which is on Steelers Depot, just search uh, visit tracker. It's a couple of receivers, a lot of offensive linemen, especially along the interior, some of those big defense alignment and a ton of corners. I mean, how many corners have they brought in? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
eight officially, seven in terms of counting against the top 30 because Porter was local. So we'll just call it seven of your 30. I mean, that, that's that's pretty, you know, standout-ish. Where are the tackles at? <laughs> yeah, will there be any more coming in? I mean, yeah, but Darnell, I think, Darnell Wright going to come in? I mean, he's got, I think, 20 visits lined up. You would kind of think that Pittsburgh would be one of them, but they've got a lot of exposure to Wright, like I mentioned, I think on Wednesday show uh, at the Senior Bowl, Pat Meyer at that pro day. So certainly wouldn't shock me in the least. Um, and, and especially if you want to consider him in the first round, if you want to break that that cardinal rule with Tomlin Khan not being at that pro day, then I think him coming in for visits kind of a, you know, and a really important thing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see these last couple of uh, players brought in here. I feel like with the tackles, the two guys that were brought in, they feel a bit more like we need we need to do more homework on these guys because Anton Harrison, they hadn't really shown a lot of interest in him. He was an underclassman, so there was no all-star game to get to know him. Of course, he was at the Combine, but I feel like maybe they wanted to get to know him more. And then Daywan Jones kind of has, has all that baggage and the question marks, although officially he is not. We don't we don't know that he's coming for a visit, uh, do we? Officially, yeah. uh, just that he was scheduled, right? Right. Now, I know that there were guys that came in, I think, in late March that really weren't reported. The reporting kind of from the team hasn't started until April. So uh, we don't know for sure if and when Jones has come in. But obviously, I do know that report out there has been uh, that he was scheduled to come in. Right. And sometimes these scheduled guys end up not coming in. We've seen in the past, right? Yeah. But with Jones, that feels like a we need to talk to this guy as much as possible. We like the guy, but let's get him on a scale one more time before uh, the draft happens. Maybe just to know his weight. Okay. So that's the uh, the list there. Uh, anything else here? Am I missing any visitors that are new that are, we, we we talked about Broderick Jones from Western Kentucky? Uh, did we not? Uh, of, of who up from Kentucky? Uh, or, uh, Broderick, Broderick Martin. I keep saying Broderick Jones because oh. of the tackle from Georgia. So, yeah, sorry, Broderick Martin from the Yeah, we, we don't know if he's coming in. I mean, th- you know, he, he kind of threw out that that yeah. blanket uh, retweet of, uh, I guess, you know, uh, of visits and all, but we, we don't know for sure. But you did you did track down uh, Carl Dunbar right. at, at that pro day. So that's, uh, that's pretty significant in and of itself. And I, I think, and as I mentioned, I think the other day, when we were talking about him, I, his, his, his post pro day uh, media session was only like, I don't even think it was like three minutes, Alex, but he, he said he had contact uh, with, 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 with the Steelers there. So maybe that's a guy of, of these final uh, ones that, are, you know, I, I would assume that, that, that these visits are going to extend in the next week. And if they do, uh, I won't be surprised if he's on that list. One of our late pro day Easter eggs just happened to realize I hadn't looked at Western Kentucky yet. And with the report there on Martin, I went back through their pro day and there was Carl Dunbar. And so that's extremely notable. And I, I, I've watched the tape. My report is done on Martin. It's not been posted to the site yet. That'll happen soon. He's a fun player to watch. I mean, he's not a super athlete, but he's got pretty quick feet. He played wide receiver his first two years in high school before switching to defensive line. And so you kind of feel that that wide receiver feet, athleticism, really heavy hands, active hands. Uh, you know, strong punch, gets his hands up in throwing lanes, a real plugger. He's got to keep his pad level down. Um, you know, he's got to be able to have a better pass rush plan. He stalls out pretty quickly. He's an older prospect, six years in college, uh, began his career at North Alabama, spent three years there before transferring. But I kind of like his tape. He's long. He's got 34-inch arms. He's a zero tech, but he's a guy that is not just your classic run stuffer that can't do anything else. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed his tape. Uh, what is what is his... Uh... Uh, RAS, do you know? Uh, he was not at the combine, so I don't, and I don't think his pro day numbers have been reported. I tried okay. to find his 
pro day workout numbers, assuming he did them, I did not see anything. I just have, he was at the shrine bowl. And so I have the, the measurables, but I don't have any numbers on him. Okay. Um, he probably tested pretty well though. I think my, my, my comp and it, it's hard to comp the guys that are so big because there aren't a lot of those guys, especially in this day and age, but I went Jordan Phillips, you know, really good athlete at Oklahoma. I, I maybe Phillips was a bit better of an athlete, but I think Martin's a similar type player. Okay. And then I was watching some of Tanner Ingle from NC State, who we talked about on Wednesday's show. He's a really thin guy. He's played free safety, played nickel, missed a lot of tackles. I still need to watch more of him, but in the tape that I've watched, I'm not sure I'm seeing a draftable candidate there. All right. That's uh, that's interesting. All right. So anything else that we're missing here on the visit side? I think we kind of covered that uh, pretty well. Uh, that she was, I think, uh, Scott Brown said they typically close their facility on Good Friday. And so it should be pretty quiet today. And we'll see what happens uh, next week. All righty. All right, Dave, diving into your favorite topic, contracts and salary cap updates. We have numbers here on Zach Gentry and some of the other Steelers. So start us off with Zach Gentry, his one year deal and take it from there. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked a lot about ahead of this. Was this a four-year player qualifying contract? And it turned out to be just that. Now, uh, it's a one-year deal that totals out, I think, at $1.4 million overall, uh, a $1.2. Two four seven million dollar base salary, a hundred and that that you know what lets you know that this is a qualifying contract is that signing bonus, and it's one hundred fifty two thousand five hundred. Uh, here's the kicker with him, and he did not. He uh, Joel Corey told me it is a four year benefit contract. The only difference from what you know we kind of wondered about this is how much of a benefit portion of this uh, would he get. Uh, uh, teams can have up to $1.35 million in usage, uh, according to the four-year player benefit rules in the CBA, uh, judging by this, he didn't get much of the, 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 uh, the, the benefit at all, especially when, uh, you, you, you talk about his base salary for his accredited seasons is, uh, what 1.08 million and, uh, his base salary is 1.247. So they use only a hundred and whatever, you know, uh, thousand uh, as part of the benefit here. The kicker is still, regardless of the, uh, of how much the benefit they gave him, his, his cap number still came in as what I predicted it would come in at uh, because of the benefit portion. And that means his, his, his benefit, his cap number is uh 1.2, three to five million dollars which is extremely low uh the only guaranteed portion of his contract is the signing bonus of 152,500 so you got a player in my 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 opinion here alex that that should not be considered to uh, a lock to make the 53 man roster at this point so what does that mean Mm -hmm. i think i think it still opens you up for the possibility of drafting a uh a tight end at some point during this draft yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, this contract is is really light there for Gentry. It offers no level of security, and it's a really deep tight end class. The question to me is, can you find a guy that replaces Gentry's skill set and just somebody who does it better? So that really, you know, unusually large size, big body blocker. And there are some guys in this draft that can do that, but, you know, Gentry does have a niche role in this team. And if you're going to replace that, you probably want to replace that with somebody who brings a similar skill set 
just better at the job. You mean like Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan? <laughs> I mean, you tell me. I, you've probably seen a bit more in terms of the blocking. Is he that high level? He doesn't have the size Gentry does, but how good of a blocker is he? I mean, six foot. I mean, he's not obviously. Uh, I mean, it's going to be hard to fight. There, there's only very few tight ends in this. I mean, Zach Koontz, you know, does have mm-hmm. the size, right? And but he's going to be. Uh, I, I view a much later uh, draft. Uh, draft prospect in this, but I mean, if you're looking for the skill set that, uh, that, that Gentry has, but improving on it and a guy look, uh, at this point, I, there are probably not many people thinking that this team's going to draft a tight end in the first couple of picks. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't suppose it's entirely out of the question, but uh, I think you would be looking at more fourth roundish kind of guys, so why not a Luke Schoonmucker uh, out of Michigan? Why not a Brendan a Brenton uh, a Brenton Strange out of Penn State? Uh, that guy's a little bit squattier, though. I, to mm-hmm. me, uh, and based on kind of the the uh, the Blues clues, if you will, man, uh, if if they took a guy mid round that 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 they want to improve on what Zach Gentry is, it would be another Michigan tight end in, <laughs> in, 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 in Schoonmaker there. Uh, sign me up for this guy, Alex. That's where okay. I'm at uh, on, on him of all the so guys. So he is a good blocker though. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I think he would, I think he's a guy you could get on the field right away, probably get a little bit of special teams player. I think he's personally from what, what I've watched, I, I think he's an instant upgrade over, over okay. Gentry. Okay, fair enough. And obviously, Alfredo Roberts was at that Michigan Pro Day and going to help work Schoonmaker out. And so I don't want to discount that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then Koontz, I think, would be a later guy if you if you didn't get a guy like 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 Schoonmaker out of Michigan in, say, the fourth round. Uh, I, I think uh, Zach Koontz is a guy that you could look at. And who knows? You know, is, is he under? Will he go under? I don't know. A guy no. that size, the freaky number. So he's yeah. going to get drafted. Now, yeah. is is he a blocker or is he kind of like Gentry, where he's big but he's raw in terms of pad he, level I, and blocking? I, I, yeah, he, he's 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 rawer. Uh, yeah. He's probably more of a one to one comparison of, Z, uh, of Gentry right now. In terms of size, obviously athleticism. I mean, you know, Koontz was off the charts, and right. Gentry was not. Um, yeah, it, it is hard to find that guy with that, you know, six, seven, six, eight size. So if you can find somebody who's even six, five, but a really good blocker, that could probably still work. But just given Pittsburgh's identity, run first identity, you know, Fryermuth not being a great blocker, this team's going to want a number two tight end that can be that big body type blocker. Um, you know, of course, still get questions and, and asked about Darnell Washington from Georgia. Could he be a candidate? I still would, would love it. I just don't get the sense they're really that interested in, in right. taking a tight end at, say, 32. Right. I, I, I would agree there. And look, Michael Mayer's a great blocker as well, too, but he's probably going to be off the board. I mean, I, if you're legitimately looking to upgrade uh, from how you use Zach Gentry now uh, in relation to draft stock and draft value and all like that, uh, I, I, I really feel like you're probably looking at two or three guys here. And uh, I think Schoonmaker out of Michigan's one of them. Uh, it, Strange is just a little too squatty, I think, for 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 for, mm-hmm. for what they would be looking for there. And then I, the other one, I think, would be Koontz out of old old, old Dominion. There, uh, those guys really jump off 
as of at least one to one. And, and honestly, I, I think I, I think if, if, if Schoonmaker came in, he would be an instant upgrade, to be quite honest with you. And okay. I, I view him as a, a solid kind of fourth round candidate as well, too. He'll, right. he'll, he'll end up with the Baltimore Ravens now. <laughs> yeah, now that you said that, he will definitely end up in Baltimore. I'll just mention Noah Gindor from North Dakota State. He's got the size and, res- and is regarded as a really high-level blocker. I know he's smaller school, but you know Cody Mock, they've shown interest in him. Dan Colbert at that uh, Bison Pro Day. So that's a day three type of guy that probably is not going to offer much in the past game. Not that Gentry's offering you really anything right now, but I would say Gindorf is a guy that I would look towards as similar to Gentry, but hopefully could be you know better. Or at least they would battle it out in camp. Will you be shocked that they draft a tight end, Alex? I'm not going to be shocked. I'm just trying to find who that guy is in, in this in this solid class, but you know they're not going to draft a, a Dalton Kincaid or this you know Y flex tight end because they right. don't need that. And so right. you're trying to find the guy that can you know do what this offense needs to be done, which is to be that inline Y blocker, and that list of names become smaller. Right. If if they do, I think it's going to be one of the few guys that we just talked about here. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, all right. What else from a contract cap perspective? Where else do you want to take it from? from uh, uh, the Bra- Braden uh, Fehoko deal was just a one-year uh, minimum. Uh, no, no signing bonus uh, involved there. Uh, people were a little bit evidently kind of confused on his status heading into heading into free agency and all because. Uh, I think people thought that maybe he was an exclusive rights free agent and they were wondering why the Chargers didn't keep him because all it would have taken was would would have been a minimal uh, deal to do that. Uh, but he was not an exclusive rights free agent. The difference with him, because he only had uh, two, he, he technically has two credited seasons, uh, but he has three. He had three accrued seasons, even though he only appeared in. Uh, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. I, I uh, yeah, he had uh, two accrued seasons, and the accrued seasons is what goes to determine your free agency status, whereas credited seasons determines your play. Uh, and the reason uh, his rookie season, he was mostly on their practice squad with the Chargers, and only saw only on the roster for two games. The reason he got in uh, a crude season uh, uh, that season was because of the COVID rules. So okay. he technically was a restricted free agent this offseason. So in order for them to have a chance to keep him, they would have had to restricted tender him at the over, you know, nearly $3 million mark. And that obviously didn't make sense for him. So that by them not uh, tendering him, he became a free agent, much in the way that Haas and Howard, James Pierre and all, you know, the Steelers uh, untended restricted free agents. And then that allowed him to negotiate with other teams. Now, did the Chargers maybe go back to him and offer him this, this, this same Mm -hmm. $940,000 one-year contract? They likely did. But at that point, he had his rights. He had his own rights to shop himself because obviously in exclusive rights, he would have been exclusive to the Chargers. I think he looked around and said, man, I'd love to, I'd love to play for, the, for <laughs> Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, uh, and, and I, I might have a better chance of making the roster over there. So that's what happened there. Uh, you can 
Obviously, if he doesn't work out, you have nothing invested with 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 him uh, overall. There, uh, the uh, Kiana uh, Neal deal came in. I think we talked about this the other day. I, I think right, uh, two years, four point two five million dollars. I don't know if we had yes, that. Yes, we did. Yep, uh, we did. number on him. But uh, uh, his his cap charge in two thousand twenty three is only one point five four million. So uh, he got a what a nine hundred twenty thousand dollars signing bonus. He has a minimal uh, base salary there. They split that contract up a little bit differently uh, than they normally do, but it's still almost a 50 50 per, per, uh, percent uh, split overall as far as the cash flow values go. The key thing with him is if he's a one-year player, uh, you can get out next year with only a $460,000 dead money uh, hit on him. So uh, uh, they use very minimal cap space overall when you, when you, if you want to add in KZ uh, numbers to that and all that, you know, they signed four guys and use very minimal uh, salary cap space uh, along the way. Uh, uh, I posted my, Cap update on the team uh, yesterday on the site, SteedersDepot.com. You can search that out very easily. This team now, when you add in the mandated workout bonus charge placeholder of $849,600, this team is exactly (laughs) $9,639,319 under the cap as we sit here on this Friday here. And uh, they, they have plenty of room to do some stuff if they want to. Obviously, when you look ahead at uh, forthcoming expenditures, not so much, but you know, there's going to be some attrition in this roster at some point in the top 51. So if they still wanted to go out and add a guy like Bud Dupree, you know, on on uh, uh, something that would have a 2023 cap charge of under four million, you could definitely do that. Obviously, when it comes to uh, uh, veteran benefit contracts, you could you can stack as many of those as you want because because of roster displacement, those won't eat up a lot of space at all here. But for the most part, Alex, uh, outside of a Bud Dupree, I think that I I, I think the bit the big deals are done now. Yeah, I think so. And anything that might come in is going to be basically Fahoko Gentry. Well, not even Gentry, I guess. Just like Fahoko minimum level type deal, I suppose. Yeah, you're you're looking at very minimal uh, base salary, veteran benefit, hundred fifty two thousand five hundred dollars signing bonus okay. uh, type type deals. That you know, if you want to bring back a Benny Snell or uh, Boykin, yeah, yeah, Boykin. I mean, you're talking about extremely low value deals, and you you can add four or five more of those players if you wanted to at this point, because you're not going right. to because because of roster displacement, you're not going to use a lot of cap space there. So at this point, I think the name really to watch is Bud Dupree. Mm-hmm. And you know, may, may maybe another tackle, but but anybody they add at this point is probably going to be a cap charge three million or under, uh, uh, and and not many of those guys. What was the cap space that the that those contracts ate up uh, with Neil and Fahoko and Gentry? It was like two million dollars. What was the number on that? Uh, that hold on that a minute. They account for. Yeah, just, to, just to illustrate, you know, how many players you can sign and with displacement and the way these contracts are structured that you can sign, you know, multiple players and really not move your cap needle all that much under that rule of 51. Uh, let me see. I think it was around 2.1 million, I believe you had said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's start with the fact that the signings of Casey Gentry, Neil 
and Fajoko only used 2.1475 in available salary cap space uh, following the top 51 roster displacement taking place. So you got four guys and used up not even 2.1, 2.15 million of, of cap space uh, because of the deals that they signed. Yeah, that's that. That's and so people that say the cap isn't real, they just don't understand how the cap works. The cap is the real; it's very much a thing. With it, it's just malleable, and with displacement and the way that it works, I mean that's five hundred k per player, which is a crazy way to think about their cap charge. Um, obviously, when they're going to get paid more than that, or the base salaries are of course higher than that, then that's mandated by the CBA. But it just again illustrates that you know you can really work this thing and add players, not you know top free agents, but you can round out your roster and not really change your cap needle all that much. Right. And look, if you signed a guy right now uh, uh, like Bud Dupree, and let's say he had a uh, uh, a, a, a $3 million uh, cap charge, let's see who's at uh, uh, the displacement. You'd take 900, you'd take almost a million dollars uh, off of that because of displacement. So you're looking at using uh, a, a little more than $2 million in cap space to sign a Bud Dupree assuming his 2023 cap hit was, was 3 million. Okay. Yeah. So that's another great uh, illustration of that point. All right. Uh, so that brings us up to, to date on, on the cap situation. All right. Uh, I think that's going to cover the uh, cap situation and the uh, pre-draft visit tracker. And so let's uh, get to our round table here with Tyler Wise, Ross McCorkle, Owen Straley, and Joe Camarota. We'll take a pause and come back with those guys. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as we have talked about and teased and promised throughout the week, we have uh, part one of our Steelers Depot draft roundtable on this Friday. We'll have another probably segment. Uh, in a week or two right before the NFL draft, but have a great crew on today. Been working really hard throughout the entire draft process, going to some of these all-star games, working on reports, and getting ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers 2023 NFL draft. So today we have Ross McCorkle, Owen Straley, Joe Camaroto, and Tyler Wise. Appreciate you guys being here. Um, let me start with, uh, Ross, I guess, as Dave kind of mentioned earlier, everything all safe. You're down in Nashville. It's kind of been some, some wizard of Oz type stuff. You're okay. You're still on the ground. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a little crazy. A lot of, uh, tornado watches and stuff. The other day when the wind was whipping, I had to go out and, uh, triage my fence a couple times cause it's <laughs> old and rotten. So that was, that was a lot of fun, but yeah, uh, safe, all safe here. All right. Glad you guys are all good. Um, let me just kind of start off here and oh and i'll start with you you're kind of our, our resident uh db expert because you, you played the position pittsburgh showed a lot of interest in cornerback yesterday steve and i talked about earlier in the show bringing in a couple of notable corners for visits in christian gonzalez from oregon darius rush from south carolina um let, let me start with just asking you about those two guys i don't know how much you've watched of gonzalez and rush but um if you have what are your impressions on their game And no one, oh, there you go. You're muted yeah, for a yeah. second. So, um, I'll just start with uh, Gonzalez. So I actually, more recently, uh, going into this week's show, got a chance to look at uh, Gonzalez, Joey Porter Jr., uh, Witherspoon, and a couple more of just the top guys that I hadn't had a chance to go through uh, as I've been doing kind of my own profiles. But I think to start with Gonzalez, I mean, it's not exactly a uh, out of pocket, more along the lines of a consensus opinion, but I think there's a bigger gap between Gonzalez and the next guy than I think there is between anyone in that two, three, four, five range. They just 
really does everything well as a prospect, flips his hips really well, good hand usage, does a really good job to close to the top shoulder when he is out of phase. So I think he's probably, I don't know if you can eliminate any other corner and say he's not going to be there at 17, but I think Gonzalez, you can pretty safely do that. Um, as for Rush, I haven't had as much of a chance to look at Rush, but saw enough of him just in watching um Cam Smith, his teammates tape. So I'm a, a little bit familiar with it through that, but I think I'd need to probably take a deeper look before I can give, you know, okay. set evaluation. Gotcha. Dave, do you have any questions or any thoughts yeah. based off of the visits or anything? Yeah, you know, what uh uh Owen, what talk a little bit about the the strengths and the weaknesses of uh guys that could potentially be right there in the wheelhouse there at 17 at cornerback uh for the Steelers obviously you know Joey Porter Jr is probably uh, i guess depending on where people you know have him ranked i mean he obviously could go uh higher than 17 overall but i'm interested to get your thoughts on his strengths and his weaknesses uh, I think another guy, you know, uh, Witherspoon, we'll see what happens there. And then, you know, uh, uh, Kaylee uh, Ringo out of Georgia is another one, you know, that, that the students seem to have shown uh, quite a bit of interest in in the pre-draft process, you know, dating back obviously to the pro day and then uh, pre-draft visits and, 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 and those kind of things. So can you talk about those, those three guys, you know, particular? Yeah, so um, I'll start with Porter. Obviously, Porter Jr. I mean, you got he's a you know very, very lengthy corner, um, like pretty unique in that aspect. And I think you know a lot of guys sometimes with the you know longer uh, kind of you know not as much thickness to their frame, you'd be a little worried about them coming up and hitting. But I think that's actually where he's kind of at his best compared to a lot of other guys in the class. And I mean, Witherspoon similarly will definitely come downhill and lay a pop, but I think, you know, a lot of people come back to it and you hear a lot, even with the quarterback class with Bryce young is just the, the durability concerns of doing that at, you know, 180 pounds versus Porter's got to be, I'm I'm not exact on the measurement, but I think it's up above 200 somewhere. So it's just a lot more, uh, a lot more size, and length to him um, doesn't flip his hips necessarily as well as some of the other top corners in the class, but with the arm length and with the size alone, he can kind of get away with uh, being a little more square and being more disruptive at the line. Um, definitely. I think has some work to do from if he were to play more off man coverage at the NFL level, but does really well squatting in uh flat zones and cover two where he can kind of, jam, reroute, come up and attack, use his physicality. So I'm, I'm a fan of Porter. I don't know if I'd have him as my second or third ranked corner yet. I'll probably iron that out sometime before the draft and release the top 10. Uh, Witherspoon, I think, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about just kind of one of the more complete corners in the draft outside of the size. So, you know, not not the prototype size, but does a really good job from both press and off coverage has shown pretty solid ball skills at the catch point. I think sometimes with him, I see a little bit too much of a tendency to open up the hips prematurely when he's playing from off coverage. So receivers step on his toes, feels a little bit threatened, feels like he has to open and turn just needs to kind of trust his speed more in that sense, especially where 
outside of Christian Gonzalez, I don't think there's a corner in this draft that can, you know, fully open to the sideline and then recover without using a speed turn or get back on a post or get back on a dig. So that's really where he needs to work. But the baseline physicality, the ball skills, all the traits are there. And I think, you know, a lot of it just comes down to how do they feel about the size? And then Ringo is an interesting one. He as one I've definitely been a little bit more down on going into the draft class because he's been a name that's been floated around even since preseason into last year as kind of one of these young, you know, up and coming guys that was going to be a top pick in this year's draft. So I was able to do some work on him early. Um, I think the biggest thing for him with me is just he's one of those guys where I question, is he a natural corner? I think he's got a ceiling there and he's got reps where, you know, you can see him turn, run, pin a guy into the sideline, go use his athleticism to play the ball. And he is a great athlete, but the hips is the biggest thing to me where they just they don't feel fluid. And there's a lot of reps, whether it's a comeback or a slant where he's forced to open and it, it almost can kind of feel like a linebacker covering in space. And I, I had a lot of a chance to watch, you know, a good amount of his tape when I was evaluating uh, Chris Smith, the uh, second one of their safeties. And so I, I, I made a point of kind of going through and watching Ringo every rep in between the tape. And I'm not going to I mean, I wasn't impressed per se by the tape, but I can also see how a team, if you're, you know, you're banking on upside and, you know, you don't think he's got to play from day one, how he could be one of the higher upside prospects in the draft, given his just raw athletic traits and size. Where, where does Deontay Banks fit in into all this? Yeah, so Banks is interesting. He He's another one that I haven't done a super, super deep dive on, but had a chance to kind of go through and take a peek at him when I was evaluating his teammate, Shakorian Bennett. Um, overall, I mean, good, good in press man coverage, does a nice job to stay square, have, definitely doesn't panic downfield when he's playing from out of phase. So, I, you know, I think he's interesting. I think a lot of the guys – and this is kind of what I was saying with the beginning is just you got Gonzalez and then you got probably three or four guys that are all going to be in that range. And, you know, one of them will be there at 17. It depends on whether that's your guy, but banks, big physical, um, not the world's most consistent tackler, but similar to Witherspoon when he comes downhill, he will show some pop. So that's definitely something he's not afraid to do. And, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of experience in a lot of different coverages. If you look at what Maryland ran, you know, they ran a lot of the kind of invert type stuff that Pittsburgh runs. You don't really see that a ton at the college level. So he's a, he's an interesting guy. Um, and again, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to iron out where I have him in relation to Porter Jr. and Witherspoon and all of them. But to me, they're all kind of in that similar tier two late first round type uh, grade. Tyler, let me ask you about another guy that came in recently for a pre-draft visit with Pittsburgh, and I think nobody was happier to hear the news than you. That's Michigan State wide receiver Jaden Reed. You've been talking him up since watching him at the Senior Bowl. Give us just another kind of background on Jaden Reed. Yeah, so Jaden Reed's a guy uh, that, you know, he can pretty much play all over. Um, they lined him up in, in the slot, outside, um, even in the backfield a little bit, even though it's, he's, I wouldn't say he's a, a Tebow Samuel type at all, but they, they did move him around there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he 
someone that I kind of circled before the senior bowl when I was going through that roster and really was thinking that he would be one of the top guys there and didn't prove me wrong. Um, and the reason for that really is he was just, um, just an all around player in terms of his route running. Um, you know, he's not going to blow by people. He actually kind of struggled to, you know, um, vertically stack. Um, but at the same time, he will create separation underneath and then during intermediate routes. Um, but with that, too, with him not being able to vertically stack, he plays much bigger than his 5'10", five, 5'11", five, five, frame. Um, you know, he's not he, – a lot of people are talking that they don't want a uh, – the Steelers don't want a, another small slot. Um, and I, I wouldn't really even put him in that in that realm just because he is built um, about about 200 pounds, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he, is, he is built. He, can, he plays much bigger than his 5'10", frame. Um, and he can go up and get the ball too. So, uh, the other thing that, you know, when we're talking about, uh, guys that, that the Steelers should, you know, think about bringing in for the slot, we want the inside out versatility. Um, he played, played mostly in the slot when he was at the senior bowl. So it's kind of interesting to see that, but, um, but he, I can see him as a guy that can maybe start out his career in the slot and potentially bump outside as, you know, maybe, I mean, if, if we're talking about him coming in for the Steelers, if Deontay Johnson somehow doesn't, you know, doesn't last past his next contract, you could see him being a guy that could, you know, develop into that X, X receiver, um, you know, uh, featured guy in the offense. Um, that, that's kind of where I see him developing. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, he could just be, you know, a full-time slot at the same time. Um, he's a guy that's definitely, Oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, if you had to guess around, I know it's kind of hard to guess rounds on maybe not the first round types, but we talking like third round, fourth round, and where do you think he he falls? So I would say anywhere between that, um, between that 80th pick and 120. uh, I I think you'd be fortunate if he, if he lasted to 20, because I I know Chicago is very interested in him. Um, and they're sitting there. I want to say 103 is a team that I always had circled there because I'm kind of curious where he's going to go. Uh, but you know, they need receivers and he's actually from Chicago too. Um, mm. so that, you know, that's an extra little, little tidbit that, you know, they might be even interested in. And he, he just seems like an overall, you know, salt of the earth type of guy. Um, you know, I talked to him, talked to him down there, just very personable, uh, very well-spoken. Um, and at the same time, uh, his, his coach at the same time has also coached, talked him up so, so much, um, uh, Tucker, uh, at Michigan state. And he, he's really been, Really does does it all. Um, you know, he blocks really blocks really well. Um, you know, isn't afraid to put his face in the fan for and even though he's a little guy, uh in terms of height, he, he's definitely not afraid to, to block like he's he's bigger than that. Joe, sticking with receivers, you've been doing some some homework on on the receiver position. What guys do you think fit Pittsburgh well? Dave and I have kind of had these discussions about maybe what type of slot receiver they're gonna gravitate towards, the big slot, the juju types or the small slot like a Calvin Austin, but just generally speaking, what receivers have you been watching that kind of feel like they would at least fit well in Pittsburgh? Sorry, I was muted. So for who I've really watched in depth are more of the smaller slots like Jalen Moreno uh, Cropper and Demario Douglas from Liberty. And I'm not sure if they're going to go that route just because you already have a Calvin Austin the third on the roster. I don't know if you necessarily want to get a second smaller slot unless you want to but I think if you do go for one of those smaller slots, I think Pittsburgh would be more interested in Jalen Moreno Cropper because he's a bit bigger than than, than Douglas. Douglas is, is very small, and I think if you ne- if you needed to, you could throw Cropper outside, give it a little bit more versatility where he could 
God forbid Deontay Johnson gets injured. I think he could probably play like the, the X role a little bit. So, so he's someone I, I would watch late later in the draft, day three sometime. But okay. I'm also interested in the big slot. While I haven't got to do a big deep dive on on, on Xavier Hutchinson, I, I saw Tyler Wise's draft profile of him, and I mean he's what what does he measure at? Uh, he's six one two zero three. I, I think that's a guy you could, you could see possibly if the team wants to go more big slot juju type. Yeah, and you saw Mike Tomlin, Omar Khan, surprisingly, at that Iowa State Pro Day. And what does that mean? It's it's hard to say for sure. Obviously, Hutchinson not around one guy, but certainly one to keep in mind. I want to switch gears in, Ross. I want to talk to you about some offensive linemen. And again, sticking with the idea of the guys that have recently come in for pre-draft visits, TCU guard slash center Steve Avila is the guy that you profiled a while back. Um, you know, Pittsburgh, despite signing a couple of guards, still showing some interest in that interior offensive line position. So just give me a background on the type of player Avilia uh, is. Yeah. Uh, so I also, I got to speak to Avila at the uh, senior bowl as well and watch him some there. And he did have a good week there overall. Um, he's one of those guys, he has a great anchor. So, you know, uh, he's going to be an asset in any kind of, in any kind of passing offense. Um, he maybe doesn't move all that well in space. He's, he's a bigger guy. I think what he's, uh, got him at 332 pounds. So he's, he's quite a unit. Uh, he's thick in his lower half and his upper half, um, which is, you know, speaks to that anchor that I was just talking about. Um, one of the things that kind of stood out to me that may be an issue with him, um, he would probably operate best in a gap system, but he can't really pull as a guard. Again, he doesn't really move all that well in space, at least from what I saw. Um, so it's kind of uh, questionable where he's going to be a fit uh, and what kind of scheme he's going to be a fit. But again, he does have that excellent anchor. Somebody's going to be able to make use of him. And in a not all that strong guard class, he is towards the top. Although he's somebody that I I graded out Um Kind of high third round, honestly, but okay. I know some people have a much higher than that. So, can 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 is his best fit maybe at the NFL center? How much of his center tape did you watch? Um, I did watch one game at center, and I spoke to him at the Senior Bowl. He said playing center is like riding a bike; like you know, he doesn't forget how to do that. Um, he did spend a, a quite a bit of time doing that earlier on in his TCU career. I think it was in 2021, he was first team all big 12 at center 2022. He was first team all big 12 at left guard. So um, I do think he he may fit better at center uh, just because he not being asked to pull as much and stuff like that. I think I think he he could. Was he used at center at all at the senior bowl? Or was he exclusively at guard? Do you recall? Uh, he did, he did take some center snaps in practice okay. and he talked about adding that versatility. I don't think he did in the actual game though. I could be wrong on that. Okay. What do you just make of this team still just seemingly general interest with bringing in guys like Osiris Torrance and Avilia and Chandler Zavala from NC state, despite signing a couple of guards and Herbig and, and say Malu and having James Daniels, do you really think this team's going to take an interior guy, you know, within the top two, three rounds? I kind of struggle to. I, I struggle to think that they would do that uh, just given the large investment last off season and James Daniels. And now obviously with Isaac Samalu and having her big behind that, that's just, I, I just struggle to see how you would get a guy on the field um, on obviously at center. There's more of a chance with Mason Cole, but 
he he played pretty well last year and the team seems to like him. Um, so I, I, I don't know how you get one of those guys on the field in his first season. Um, that's yeah. my only thing. I gotcha. Tyler, just to go back to you, just a more general question. Who have you been watching lately? Who's been, you know, capturing your attention? Who's a guy that you want to talk about? And, and, yeah, so, and, and, oh. talk, and talk about that. Uh, uh, you watch quite a bit of cornerbacks as well, too. So talk about, you know, and, and your boy, Julius Brents. Uh, you're on him from the start as well, too. So uh, in giving in giving your response here, talk a little bit about the, the you know, the quarter cornerback class through about the you know fourth round or so. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we can we can backtrack a little bit to receivers, too. Um, as you guys know, that's kind of where I try to hold, hold my hat at there uh, or hang my hat at. Um, so, I mean, uh, Xavier Hutchinson is a guy that, you know, we, we talked about touch base a little bit on. Um he was it. He was someone that was, I was expecting kind of shine as well at the Senior Bowl, and really never. I didn't think make a, a true impact there for for anybody watching. Um, didn't really jump out at any means. But then I jumped into his tape, um, and you know he's he's a really steady, steady guy. I guess is probably the best way to put him. Uh, I think he's. I mean, he's another guy that's like you know six six one six two, uh, right around two oh five. Uh, could play that big slot role for sure. Um, he's, you know, he's bigger, but he, he also is pretty sudden in and out of his breaks, which was, which was cool to watch. Um, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna offer you, you know, a ton of yak or any, anything like that, but he, you know, he's solid hands, good body control. Um, and he, he's, he's a good blocker too. He's not gonna, you know, take your head off, but you know, he, he shows the one to, um, in the run game. And, and, you know, after his teammates make catch too, he's not, he doesn't just stand there. He goes to try to find, find work. So. Um, he was someone that I was really impressed with. Um, I, I don't see him – due to him just not being super explosive by any means, I, I would kind of look for him to be more of a guy at 120 because um, he's just not as exciting. But I think you can kind of put him there um, in, in the big slot. But you can also play outside too if you need him to. Um, but I think he's going to make his money inside. Um, recently, I just saw – I compared him to uh, late, <laughs> late in his career, Adam Thielen. Uh, just because they they kind of they kind of win in the in a similar way, uh, just isn't as explosive. Uh, but I actually just recently saw a comp. I think someone responded to to Nagy tweeting about him, um, and it was Tyler Boyd. And I think that's actually a great great comp for him. Uh, I mean, they they line up perfectly, measurable wise, um, uh, combine wise. And then I, I was watching some Boyd tape to to see um to see it and i mean it's it's very similar um, in terms of how they operate in the middle of the field so definitely a guy to kind of keep an eye on um uh coming out and like, like i said probably i would like him in the fourth round if they were to go after him um but you know third round wouldn't be super surprising either considering they've seen him up close at the senior bowl and at his pro pro day as well so um Another guy, um, can't can't go without talking about Jonathan Mingo. No, you can't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so he's obviously been talked about a, a bunch uh, recently. Uh, it, I mean, he he dropped out to to me and Ross both at the, at the Senior Bowl. We we talked a good bit about him there. Um, he, he's another guy that's probably not gonna. He's not gonna be a, a natural separator by any means, but he doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, just because he's so he's so uh, he's so thick. Uh, you know, 225, uh, definitely can bounce off tacklers. Uh, and he catches everything around him. I think that was really what jumped out to me at the senior bowl was he just had hands that just like, it was like a vacuum. If, if it was near him, it, it was, it was being brought in. Um, so he doesn't necessarily need to, to create super separation. Um, but I, I think he's a, he's a guy you can put in there. And if you're looking to get more yak, 
Um, he, he's definitely the guy to target. Um, and that's where I, I would put him over Hutchinson in that way because, because I mean, like he, he's not as technically sound. He, he's not as sudden out of his breaks um, by any means, uh, but doesn't need to be. And I think he can, he can be a guy that, you know, you set it and forget it in the middle of the slot, in the middle of the field there. Um, and he's also probably the best blocker out of these, these big slots out of, out of anybody. Um, so, and that's super important to me, just just watching, you know, guys like Chase Claypool, Ray Ray McLeod, uh, Steven Sims, you know, they, they tried their best blocking, um, you know, it, it, from the slot position, but it just, it, it's been, uh, it's been a piece of work for, for sure to watch there. Um, and it could definitely be a help help in in the run game so um another guy uh we i don't think many people have really talked about him much is parker washington uh i I just have a lot of people reaching out to me about him i'm not as high on him um you know he's you know i think either a three or four year starter at penn state was never the guy there he always had um had had um, an injury too didn't he didn't he have an injury? yeah yeah yep he hurt his i want to say his ankle it was a lower body injury of some sort in, in practice this year so he, he missed a good bit of time um in his senior year uh, but he, he's always had somebody that's been better than him at penn state so he's never really been um he's never really been that that guy i guess this year he should have been i thought and he just didn't, didn't really break out now obviously you can you can say what you want to say about sean clifford um might not have the best best qb play there but when i when i looked at his film he was actually it was surprising to me how how raw he still kind of was as a route runner. He doesn't have any sort of like major bursts or explosiveness in and out of his breaks. Uh, there was definitely things where I was expecting a bend to, to create separation on, on, um, you know, void routes and, and such. And there's just there's so many things that I, I didn't see him do that. I was expecting him to, um, he was another guy that just kind of didn't do anything blocking, um, he, during scramble drills, he didn't really seem to understand what he was doing. Uh, so those were all little like nuances of the position that was like, well, we just lost Chase Claypool or trade Claypool away. And he seemed like he didn't have any of that nuance. So we can draft a guy that should have it, but he's been in the slot for three years and he doesn't. So um, I, I've kind of soured on, on Parker Washington. He does, you know, he, he's another guy that, you know, he, he doesn't really necessarily need to create separation um, to, to win because he, he has such good hands and, you know, he has great ball skills. Um, but it just the fact that if you don't have that nuance, I'm not, not going to be, be big on you. Um, especially when he's not that prototypical big slot, he's still only, um, still only about, let me see here, five ten, two oh five. So he's not super big. He, he's a little thicker for his size, but, um, just not someone that I'm super high on either. So, um, someone that I know no one's really talked about is Jake Bobo. <laughs> He, he, from UCLA. That's Mel's. Uh, that's Mel's that, prospect. That's Dr. Mel's oh, guy. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. I, mean, and I, I, I haven't and seen I, that. I've watched his tape too, uh, right, right after the, uh, the, the East West shrine. And, uh, I get that kind of that. Who's that kid out of West Virginia a couple years ago? Stills. Uh, okay. David, yep. Yeah. David Stills. David Stills. 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 Uh, Stills. You said Stills, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I get those kind of vibes for from him, but he's another big slot guy that can make things happen after the catch and catches everything around him, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, any any blocks really well too. I mean, he's a big dude. Um, he's not gonna he's he's not gonna run <laughs> run fast at all, but very reliable in the slot. He, and he he's got it. He he finds space really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, that's 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 exactly what I was looking for when trying to find a guy like that. He transferred from from Duke to UCLA, didn't miss a beat. 
Uh, seemed to have a, a nice rapport with uh, DTR there at UCLA. And like I said, I mean, that's that's what we're looking for. And it, and he'd probably be a guy you, you might be able to wait till the seventh round to grab if you're kind of freaking out towards the end of the draft that they didn't take a receiver. He'd probably be a good spot there. Uh, was a captain at Duke, too, so kind of fits, checks that box off. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, you, you kind of covered it with him. He's a good route runner. Um, he's, he's, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, uh, but he's sudden out of his breaks, which is really surprising when I was watching him. Uh, he, he gets on top of guys, uh, steps on their toes, and, you know, breaks, breaks off quickly. Um, so, I mean, for, for that size, he was definitely intriguing and would be worth a, a late-round flyer. But at the same time, he's a good blocker. Uh, good hustle guy, uh, all, all those things you can say about him. Um, so it definitely, definitely someone to look out for. I, I'm excited to look into him more. Um, he jumped out at me when I was watching Makai uh, Blackman uh, from USC, uh, just was super physical at the catch point. Um, so yeah, look out for Jake Bobo. I'll be doing a profile of him after uh, I get done with uh, Thayer Thomas from MC State, um, who I can, I guess I can talk about him a little bit too. Um, so Thayer Thomas, NC State, was someone that the Steelers evidently just had a meeting with. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think um, they're supposed to bring him in. Or, or wasn't there a report on that, uh, Alex, that they had some sort of meeting with him? Uh, yeah, it might have been, I think, at his pro day. There might have okay. been a meeting uh, before his pro day. Okay, so yeah. Uh, I mean, just to a touch base on it because of the, the meeting, I wanted to touch base. I'm not super impressed with him. Uh, you know, he, he's pretty he, – he tested, you know – pretty well and i don't see it on tape at all really i mean he's your he's your run-of-the-mill you know slow slot <laughs> receiver that you know he, he can get it and out his breaks well he, he catches pretty much everything but he, he doesn't generate much yak um he, he doesn't block well um you know they put him back as a punt returner he had some big plays against uh like uconn and there's another fcs team i forget who where i saw most of his plays being done um but I mean, just just a just a guy. Uh, I, I he he kind of he's going to profile to me as someone that I I could see in the XFL in a year or two. Um, I just don't see him him sticking too much. So I mean, I'm not going to touch base on him too much more than that. But uh, okay. he's, he'd probably be a UDFA um, if anything. So we'll we'll, we'll come uh, back and get some thoughts on you on the cornerbacks then. Okay. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. All right, um, so let's go to, to Ross and just kind of ask the same question. Some guys that have maybe caught your attention lately, some guys you've been watching. Yeah, um, it all started with uh, Dewan Jones. That was my first profile I put out. Um, obviously, I'm, I've been a big fan of him throughout the process. I understand there's uh, some questions with him not participating at the Combine very heavily and kind of skipping out on some of his pro day stuff and, and the senior bowl, so that's obviously a concern, but man, is he a uh, fun to watch? He has this awesome snatch trap that he does uh, just with those monstrous, uh, what is it? 36 and three eighth arms. Um, defenders end up leaning on him pretty heavily because of his arm length. And and sure enough, he makes them eat dirt more often than not. So, uh, and you know, you got to remember he was a basketball player in high school. So even at 375 pounds, he has that uh, athleticism. He got D1 offers for basketball as well. Um, he performed very well against some top, uh, edge rushers in this class, uh, both at the senior bowl and on the tape that I watched, he had some, some good tape against Isaiah Foskey, who's another kind of big prototypical edge rusher, uh, prospect in this draft. Um, so I, I 
personally do really like Dewan Jones. I would be very happy if the the Steelers brought him in. Um, obviously, there's some concerns with 375 pounds, how much he's going to be able to uh, move laterally. But I honestly don't think it matters with his length. He's he's shown that on the tape, at least from what I've seen. Uh, people just can't get around the edge against him. Um, another guy, uh, Mossy Smith. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching his tape. Another guy that I really was hoping to see some of those combine numbers for, uh, but we didn't get those. Uh, he didn't participate in the combine. He did come in and get measured, I think. Um, but yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that was on the, uh, college freaks list, Bruce Feldman's, uh, college freaks list. I think he was number one entering 2022. He didn't end up, uh, coming in as freakish i think at some of the i don't know if it was pro day or whatever but um some of his workout numbers weren't as good as expected so that kind of hurts him a bit um i think it'll come down to him what teams think about him as a pass rusher uh he's got that big body he can he can plug up uh one or two blocks in the middle of the defense there and he can also move around the defense a little bit uh he does have pretty good arm length i think at 33 and three quarters um but yeah I, he he is really limited in his pass rush by his slow first step. So I don't know if, if, if a team is confident that they can improve his pass rush and improve that first step, which is going to be the key to unlocking his pass rush. Uh, then I think he could go very high and he's somebody that definitely intrigued me. Um, I just want to go back to, to Jones really quickly. I know you kind of already answered it, but you're not, you're not turned off by day one Jones, but with weight concerns and really skipping out on his pro day, you think the tape overrides some of those pre-draft uh things that have happened um you know if if he ends up being the selection then you know that the coaches feel comfortable with it so then you I, you know i would kind of default to feeling comfortable do i feel comfortable if i was making the decision uh i think i do i think i do i think uh you know he might have some agents chirping in his ear telling him not to do certain things and you know, what, what are you going to do? Uh, this 20, mm-hmm. whatever year old kid wants to protect his uh, future income. I, I can't fault him for that. It is obviously not great to see. And, and Mike Tomlin was chirping him for, uh, not weighing in at the pro day, which, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever you want to make of that, but could you see him at 17? Um, you know, I think the Steelers really need to invest in, a, in a tackle. Uh, some people aren't as certain on that, but I do feel, I mean, you guys have talked about it all off season and for multiple years now that the Steelers haven't really invested top picks into the offensive line. I think that needs to change, especially with Kenny Pickett. You got to, you have to stand up a, a above average or great offensive line for a young quarterback and, and one that has multiple concussions. And, um, so Long story short, I, I do think he's in play at 17. Uh, I had him more, more graded out as like a top of the second or very end of the first. Um, so maybe more value at 32. But hey, if all the other tackles are gone and he's the guy, uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset at 17. Owen, I, I know that you're the DB guy here for the roundtable, but give me a couple maybe non-defensive backs you've been watching. I know you had a profile on Clemson Edge, Miles Murphy. You've started to dive into some of the top quarterbacks, but it can be anyone you've watched non-DB that, is, that has caught your attention. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start with some of the guys I saw at the Shrine Bowl. I thought uh, I thought Jake Bobo was a good call-out because he had, we had some good debates about him. Um, I think, I mean, athletically, just watching him, like he definitely can't release on the outside, and I think he's going to have to move in and probably be a big slot at the next level. But 
you know, I found myself consistently asking, like, how is this guy? He's not threatening anyone with speed. He's not really doing anything, you know, crazy out of the box as a route runner, but he's consistently getting open and catching the ball every time. So at a certain point, I was like, you know, I think this guy probably has a home somewhere at the NFL. Hardworking kid. You know, I think he'll, well, like Tyler said, he'll be a late round guy, but I think someone could find something there. Um, Zay Flowers had a chance to dive into just from, some of the uh, defensive backs I've evaluated against him. And I mean, just a super electric kind of dynamic weapon that can get you at all three levels of the field. I liked, you know, when I was interviewing with him, he talked about kind of the, he views himself as a three phase player with the, you know, jet sweeps and receiver run game, you know, potential punt return action. And then as a receiver, he can work all three levels of the field the type of guy that can take a drag for 60 yards or, you know, run a post, catch it over two people and, you know, go do it that way. So he's, he's a super interesting guy as far as the top of the class goes. Um, just looked at uh Justin shorter from Florida. He was another, you know, very interesting guy, kind of a lengthier, much, much bigger framed receiver. He's about six foot four, uh, just understanding he's six, three and three quarters, uh, 229 pounds. So really more of a tight end body on the outside, uh, doesn't really have much wiggle to release at the line of scrimmage, but it almost doesn't matter when, you know, he's facing defensive backs that are 5'11", and they can get hands on him, but he's usually just out-muscling them. So he was almost impossible for defensive backs to squeeze into the sideline. And um, kind of George Pickens-esque does a great job of being able to high point the football while he's still on the ground, which is a huge advantage over defensive backs where he can pin them, they have to leave the ground, and he can just, you know, shoot, flash late hands over the shoulder and extend for some balls. So great catch radius, does a really good job of helping his quarterbacks out. I think he's the type of guy that can probably be a, you know, solid big slot type, you know, maybe get some H-back snaps at the next level. He's a very good blocker. They used him, you know, in a ton of different assignments, whether that be, you know, crack it down on ends and linebackers. So he's an interesting guy, you know, able to give you some explosive playability potentially a good red zone threat at the next level. Um, Miles Murphy, another interesting guy from Clemson. And, um, you know, that was kind of my first dive into, you know, box play uh, since I've been evaluating with the site. So had a lot of fun watching his tape. Um, The pass rush isn't super refined, but he does have the first part, which is just a nice quick first step. that's going to threaten tackles. And given that first step and given his, you know, prototype size of the position, he is able to kind of work into a bull rush and effectively push the pocket. Now, this past season, he kind of started to flesh out his plan a little bit, work some counters, uh, had a nice dip rip that he can get to if the uh, speed to power fails. So that was solid to see. And then in the run game, he's, you know, virtually, you know, an immovable object. He did a great job of, you know, taking on double teams. It was a really good job of working half man, kind of, you know, taking on blockers with the the sternum to cuff and then locking out with that one arm to keep the outside arm free. So he does a really, really nice job of setting the edge in the run game. And then also, you know, just in that uh, Clemson defense, which is very multiple in terms of what they've run, you know, he played in some even fronts, played in some odd fronts, uh, you know, played as a ghost, played it, played in a nine technique, even, you know, got down into a five tech and occasionally even, you know, four I three tech type stuff. So just super versatile in terms of going up and down the line. I think he's an edge at the next level, but, you know, potentially with 
what the Steelers do, uh, you know, in sub packages. He does a really nice job of kind of stunting and looping into the A and B gaps. So he's an interesting guy as well. Yeah, and he oh. just proved his health at the those workout that he had. That was good to see. Go, go ahead, Dave. Uh, oh, and where do you come in on, you know, Brian Branch? Uh, it seemed like we're coming out of a phase where he was kind of a, a hot topic when it comes to the Steelers. It seems to have cooled off just a little bit uh, at this point. Uh, uh, where do you come in on Brian Branch out of Alabama? The, uh, who, you know, some people profile him as, as, as a bona fide slot corner at the NFL level and others maybe a safety. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, there's, no defense that I like watching more at the college level and evaluating prospects than Alabama. They're just so sound in terms of what they do with, um, you know, Saban's kind of like the grandfather of quarters at that level. So the, the stuff he's able to do is just great to watch, but that's just me more talking from a nerd coverage perspective. As far as branch, um, he's, he's super interesting. I've evaluated two different players uh, that played on the same defense with him. The first being Eli Ricks, who was a boundary corner for them this past season. And uh, the second being DeMarco Elams, who was a boundary safety for them this past season in the quarter system. So from that, I got a lot of look at Branch because, you know, quite simply, he pops off the tape. You know, he's a very interesting guy, plays down in that nickel. But again, you know, despite his size, he's extremely, extremely effective versus the run game. Um, And, you know, I actually talked to Tyler about it a little while ago. The name that I keep having pop into my head when I get, you know, throw on branch tape is uh, Teron Johnson with the Bills. And so I think probably more of an every down nickel than, you know, a deep safety or a box safety. But what he's going to give you as an every down nickel is the ability to consistently on first and, you know, first and 10, second and four, you can play nickel because he can effectively play from, you know, a ghost technique, a nine technique off the edge. He's not afraid to set the edge kind of like Mike Hilton, but, you know, bigger, able, mm-hmm. able to effectively keep his outside arm free when taking on, you know, tackles and tight ends. And, you know, obviously does a really good job of just kind of knifing through and staying clean when he can. Uh, as for coverage, you know, it's not. And again, I think this is kind of similar to what you get from Teron Johnson, which is more of the playmaker than necessarily the, the shutdown corner from the slot. So, you know, maybe not going to hold Tyler Boyd catch list for an entire game, but he's the type of guy where, you know, if you got him playing that curl flat zone, he can expand beta quarterback, you know, sink under a flood concept and go pick one and get a nice return on it. So he's, he really plays well uh, in that kind of quarters match world where, you know, he can kind of like pass routes off, attach to something new, does a really nice job to stay square, has a nice understanding of how to bait quarterback. So I, I like him in coverage, but I really what I love is I think he's the type of guy that your run defense is going to be okay to above average when playing from a sub package personnel if you draft the type of guy like Brian Branch. So I don't know if 17 might be too early, but again, we talked about it. I think is it necessarily wrong if you're going to pick a guy at 17 and he's going to give you, you know, 70% snaps at a borderline all pro rate, but yeah, he doesn't play in base. I think it's an interesting debate and I know where I come in on it, but I think I can totally see the other side of it as well. Tyler, jump in uh, real quick on, on branch. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Owen covered it well. I mean, I, I think I, I've always been high on him because what me and Owen were actually talking about before was what are the Steelers going to do in the slot? Um, yeah. uh, it's like there, there's it, there's not a ton of guys out there. There are there are a few, uh, but it just I mean, if you, you bring in Patrick Peterson, um, and and then then if we I'm going off base a little bit here, but at the same time, if you if you draft someone like Julius Brents, then uh, who, who we haven't touched on yet, but Julius Brents is a, is going to be a guy that you're 100. He's got to be outside. Uh, so where where is that answer for the slot come in? Um, it, it's it's tough. Um, so I mean, I, I think that's where I am in the branch corner because I, I view the I view nickel right now as as a, a starting position in the NFL. Um, and I, I think he brings all of that to you. I mean, you day one, set it, forget it. Um, and great tackler, um, solid in coverage. Um, and I, I, I don't really have much more to add than, for, than Owen already covered. Uh, I just, I, I just don't know what the answer is that for the Steelers in the slot right now. And it, it's definitely worrying me. Is he 17 worthy? Or is he more 32 worthy? I, I would definitely lean towards more 32 worthy. Um, uh, but at the same time, if you like him that much, um, he checks all the boxes in terms of the, you know, the, the pro day, pro day visit and everything like that, uh, underclassmen. Um, everything. So I, I feel like he, he does fit everything in the 17, but it, it would feel a little rich. But if you like him enough, I, I wouldn't have an issue with it. And just the final thought, I, I love the Teron Johnson comp, Owen, because as you're saying, you know, maybe only 70% of the snaps, but in Buffalo, you know, Johnson is a base player. I mean, they were a nickel exclusive type of team, but I guess it partially depends on who you're facing in your division in Pittsburgh, you know, facing Baltimore, Cleveland will probably open things up more, but they're still going to be a run-heavy type team, maybe in, in Buffalo because you're seeing Miamis and teams that spread things out a bit more. Buffalo can get away kind of playing that that nickel as they're really you know, tried and true 90% of the time type defense. But I think it's a really good point overall, and Branch is certainly a name to watch. Joe, I want to ask you about the running back position. I know that Pittsburgh is you know unlikely to draft at least you know anything early, maybe a seventh-round pick I've kind of made the case for, but I know you've done – uh, some homework on some guys and potentially maybe undrafted free agents who could come into camp. So just give me the skinny on some of the backs you've been watching. So one guy that like I wasn't expecting to be so blown away with it, he's not going to be available for the Steelers because he's going to be early on, but just totally blown away with was uh, Dwayne McBride, McBride from UAB. Okay. Like he reminds me a lot of, Derek Henry and the fact that he kind of just runs people over and he doesn't have the speed to like break those 90 yard runs that, that Henry that Derek Henry has done in the past, but like he just goes out of arm tack breaks arm tackles and basically he just does everything other than catch passes and block. So I think again, you're probably not going to draft a running back in like the fifth round, right? That it just doesn't make sense. But I mean the question is, do you want to go go with a three-headed monster at some point? And I know you you brought that up, Alex. Like you have you have Jalen Warren, you have Najee Harris, but if you're gonna commit to the run completely, do you want to go out and get get, get a get a running back? That that's a good question there. I thought mm-hmm. Izzy Abandacanda from from Pitt is also an interesting player. He's he's a guy I watched a lot of. He's interesting to me because he has good speed, but he doesn't hit the hole quickly. Like he he's like patient. And then goes. And my thing with him is if he doesn't have a good offensive line, I'm not sure he's going to be that effective because he takes so long to get going. Okay. And he's going to be, where do you see him 
slotting somewhere on day three earlier than that. I see day three based off of one positional value and two that weakness of him where I think he really does need to go to a team with an offensive line, a strong okay. offensive line. Gotcha. Dave, we're kind of wrapping things up here. I do want to ask these guys about pick number 17, but do you have any final questions for the group? Yeah, let's talk tackles real quick. Who wants to jump in? And uh, as far as tackles, who might might go, might be on the board for the Steelers in the first two rounds, uh, either 17 or 32, uh, fits what they're looking for. Uh, somebody throw out maybe their top four or five choices when it comes to that. Ross, you've done you've done some offensive line work. Um, yeah, I already talked about the Juan Jones a little bit. Uh, I also watched Richard Gurridge, but he's more of a late uh, a late guy there from from Florida. Um, the other offensive tackles, well, most of what I've watched is is from the Senior Bowl. So you know, I could talk to Darnell Wright a little bit. Um, who else was at the Senior Bowl that intrigued me? I guess. Yeah, Darnell Wright, Cody Mock. Uh, those are some guys. I mean, Cody Mock's like one of those guys that you wouldn't hate having on the team. It's just like, where would he fit? Uh, I think he's more of a guard. And again, we already, the Steelers already have um, a heavy investment in guard right now. Uh, so, yeah, Cody Mock's interesting. He's a little bit not uh, lengthy enough to play tackle, but he definitely has a great demeanor. Um, he, he clearly is uh, committed to football with the crazy transformation of his body that he went through to get to the point that he's at now. Um, Darnell Wright is another interesting guy with, with his size uh, and watching him at the senior bowl. He had some really good matchups and um, in particular, he he had some against Will McDonald. Will McDonald got the better of him on some occasions uh, using some of that like crazy bend that he has, but Darnell Wright was able to uh, shut that down on occasion as well. I think he had a pretty good game against Will uh, Will Anderson, who's obviously one of the best prospects in this entire draft, so that's pretty attractive. Um, as far as 17 goes, I... Uh, Does it feel like Daywan Jones uh, or uh, Darnell Wright, if the Steelers were, take, were to take a tackle with their first two picks... I mean, do we, do we all agree that it's a good likelihood that Paris Johnson and 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 Broderick Jones are probably going to be off the board uh, by the time the Steelers pick at seventeen? And if if so, does it feel like it it, it might be a a Daywan Jones or uh, or Darnell Wright uh, at seventeen or thirty two? Yeah, that's kind of the sense I'm getting. Uh, it would be tough to see any of those guys falling. Now, could the Steelers trade up? I suppose they could. I don't know if this is the best draft to trade up in. Uh, there's a lot of great guys on, you know, day two, day early day three. So I don't know how much draft capital you want to give up. If you can maybe give up next year draft capital, I don't know what next year's draft is looking like. But um, yeah, I see it kind of being between those two if they go at tackle at 17. But before we turn it over to get kind of the early early 17 kind of predictions here, uh, Owen, uh, we talked about Branch and the slot and, and Tyler Wise. Uh, uh, expressed and, and rightfully so. What the hell is this team going to do at, at slot? Uh, and and all the top corners for the most part feel like they're 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 outside guys. Who 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 else in this class? Uh, and and it's probably going to be more Shrine Bowl, I guess, candidates there. Uh, kind of fit what the Steelers need in the slot there. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it really depends kind of where you want to look at it, but I think there's great slot options all throughout the draft. So if you're looking, you know, kind of more early uh, day two types, you got obviously uh, Utah's Clark Phillips is one of the top names. Um, and he he kind of both him and uh, Kittrell Clark from Louisville, who I'll talk about in a bit. Um, but both of them uh, kind of similar, you know, smaller framed players that started more exclusively playing to the boundary. And then, you know, as they got older, kind of smartly, you know, either talk to their coaches or you know, figured out, all right, well, I, I got to start getting some snaps on the inside. So you see those increased snaps on the inside, you know, as they go on with with Clark uh, Phillips, really, really um, sound player in coverage. Uh, not the world's greatest tackler, but, you know, great, great hips for his size, uh, you know, really good ability to turn and run great ball skills. So he, I think, is, you know, arguably outside of branch. And I, I think, you know, branch, as we've talked about, is almost his own category of slot with the run defense. But I think Clark Phillips would be, you know, to me, a clear number two there. If you're looking at slots, you know, might be able to, might be a stretch to get him at 49, maybe 32 and 49 would be where you're looking at him. Also got Illinois' uh, Jartavius Martin, who is another interesting guy. He can play some post safety. He can play box safety. He can play nickel. I think his home primarily at the next level is kind of more nickel, and um, back deep in the post. So, again, if you're looking to kind of replace what Sutton was able to do, Illinois is another place where he was asked to do a lot of those kind of post-snap rotations. So he's he's a smart player, a uh, bit of a better run defender off the edge than Clark Phillips. Um, you know, similarly has pretty good ball skills and coverage, but isn't going to give you that, you know, lockdown, lockdown man coverage in the way that Clark Phillips can. Um and then again, Kitrell Clark from the Shrine Bowl would be another guy I'd look at. Um, just from talking to him, really kind of smart kid, loves loves to talk about you know all the different coverages he he played in. You know, clearly a smart guy, has a knack for defending you know opponent uh, screen game like no one else I've seen in this class. Does a really good job of triggering to blow those up. Effective. Defending the run off the edge, but, you know, given his lack of size, about 178 pounds, I think he got up to about 182 um, for the combine, but he's slighter in the frame. So it's, you know, he's good until there's a pulling guard and he's got to take him on. Then it can kind of get a little bit ugly, especially because you can't cut them anymore in today's rules. So he's an interesting guy. Um, I think I've heard some buzz that he might slide into like late day two, early day three type. But he he's an interesting mid-round target. And I think, you know, Pittsburgh's had some conversations with him or had some interest in him. So he's a guy that I think is uh, definitely probably one of the best value bets you're going to get at that nickel position. All right. Great info there. Thank you. And just to wrap things up, just have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask each of you guys. I know the draft is still a couple of weeks away, but we've basically gotten all the information we're going to get in terms of pro days and the the vast majority of the pre-draft visitors and, and all that kind of stuff. So let me ask you, ask you guys at 17, if the draft was held today, this evening, who you think Pittsburgh would take in the first round? I know this year, I think it's a lot tougher to predict and project than past years, but Tyler, I'll start with you. If you had to guess right now who that guy at 17 would be, who would Pittsburgh pick? All right. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, as you said, this is this is really tough um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of last last year. I mean, I think we all all kind of not, not last year, two years ago. You know, Najee was pretty spot on. It felt felt easy, and it kind of fell into our laps. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had to go with someone, I'm just gonna go with Darnell Wright, um, just because of the fact I, I think he, he he might be there, um, and I, I just think he fits the what the Steelers are looking for right now. Just a massive human being, um, and he and he takes the fight to guys which I know is something that Pat Meyer really likes and, and mm-hmm. preaches. Uh, so I think he's the one that's probably the best fit and most likely to to be there. Um, and he offers some versatility in terms of maybe he's a left tackle, uh, maybe he's a right tackle, really not sure yet in terms of where where people are kind of placing him. There's either, even rumors about the Steelers, Steelers seeing him as an interior guy. So I think there's definitely some versatility there where you know, you don't you don't have to keep him in one spot, um, just see where he best fits. Uh, so I think I, I think he's probably the best bet for me at the moment. Okay, Darnell Wright, it is. Joe, uh, same question to you. Who do you think Pittsburgh picks at 17 if they had the pick right now? Well, I think they'd go defense just based off kind of how the team's set up, unless obviously like a Paris Johnson Jr. is on the board at 17, then I think they go there. I think it, it depends on if the top three corners are on the board and one of the top three corners. So I think if Joey Porter Jr. is available, I think he's the pick. If not, though, I think they'd, they'd reach in quotation marks and, and, and take Brian Branch. But I do think they go defense there. And one of Porter Jr. or Brian Branch, depending if, if Porter Jr. Is, is available. Okay, Porter or Branch. Owen, same question to you. Pick at 17. Yeah, I kind of agree uh, with Joe C here. I'm thinking there's some buzz on, you know, if Witherspoon – or Porter Jr. is available, I think, you know, you're probably running up the card there. But I think I agree. Uh, I'm not I'm not necessarily sold on they'd take Jones at 17, but I do think if, you know, Paris Johnson, say, were to fall, I think they're running the card up for that before corner. But just given availability, likelihood, I think I'm probably saying top corner available. Okay. And then Ross, to finish things out, the pick at 17. Yeah, pretty much since Cam Sutton uh, left the team in free agency, I've been leaning towards uh, top top corner available. If the top three are gone, then you move on to tackle, uh, which which brings you to Wright or or Jones, as I was talking about earlier. I tend to lean towards Dewan Jones. I think he uh, has that first significant contact that Pat Meyer preaches. Uh, he has great hand usage, great punch timing, punch placement. Uh, all that stuff's going to be attractive to Meyer. Uh, I think he'd be an asset on the team. Um, a lot of people think he's right tackle only. I mean, I don't uh, see why he couldn't play left tackle. You look at somebody like Orlando Brown Jr. Um, he's talked a lot about how his draft stock tumbled uh, back back when he was drafted due to some of those athleticism concerns and some of that like oversized concerns. Uh, I, I don't see why Dewan Jones couldn't do the same. All right. Fair enough. Dave, any final thoughts here? No, I just appreciate it. I know we weren't able to cover, you know, all the position groups, but we're going to have a second, you know, round table with some of the other guys that uh, couldn't be on the show today. So we'll, 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 we'll run through some more of those shows and, uh, or more, more of those positions that we didn't get to in a future roundtable show here. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, just, uh, glad, uh, appreciative of the work that all these guys do and the, the draft profiles, obviously. And, you know, we'll maybe try to have these guys on maybe one more time before the draft actually happens. We'll see. 
Yeah, before, but or certainly if not before, then after. I'm sure we'll have another couple of roundtables discussions to get thoughts on the actual picks. But appreciate your guys' time, all the hard work. I know we're working really hard here to get as many draft profiles posted as possible to really hit our our goal. I think we'll do it. I think we're on on uh, track on pace for it. So appreciate your time. Uh, we'll take a pause here and come back with the rest of the show. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Tyler Wise, Ross McCorkle, Owen Straley, and Joe Camaroto for their great uh, insight and analysis and just their really hard work, not only uh, on on the roundtable, obviously, but throughout this entire draft process, attending all-star games, writing up profiles, really doing some of that, uh, you know, all all that grunt work, especially with some of the the scouting reports that we do. So I have to thank them for their time and their insight. Yeah, absolutely. And all four of those guys went to all-star games, right? Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, they all did. Tyler went to the Senior Bowl, and I think Ross went to the, Ross senior. Went to the senior Bowl, and the other two, Owen and, and Joe, went to the Shrine, right. Shrine Bowl. Right, right. So uh, happy, you know, look, uh, we just blessed to have uh, very talented people contributing to the site, especially around draft season and all. Well, we'll the next roundtable will have, I think, what, four more, I think, right? Yeah, we'll have four more either next Friday or the Friday after or sometime soon because obviously the draft is is coming up pretty quickly. We're almost at 200 draft uh, profiles, and so our goal is to be well over 200 uh, by April 26, and I think we'll hit our mark. All right, Dave, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, uh, Jim Bendis writes in, uh, what if, uh, just a just a useless exercise with no good answers, what if the Steelers needed a quarterback in this draft and they are at 17, what will they would do? What what would they do? Uh, I I got to be honest. I mean, I've, uh, other than surface, you know, just, you know, uh, in passing, I, I'm, and I thank God I haven't had to do this this year. I haven't gone deep into this quarterback class. Uh, and, to me, it really is a a, a kind of useless exercise because the Steelers are not going to draft a quarterback at 17 overall. So uh, I will say this: I do have a, I still have a size bias uh, against Young, but I mean, he's a super talented kid. Uh, I think it's going to. Uh, I, I can understand people having Stroud or Young, uh, the top in his class overall. I have a feeling that Stroud might go first, but I, I will not be surprised either way. But I mean, I, I don't have a strong uh, opinion on what the Steelers would do at 17 because they're not going to take a quarterback. Yeah. If hypothetically they were in the same exact position, but didn't have Kenny Pickett. I think we'd be talking about two schools of thought because trading up into that top couple of picks is going to be impossible. Teams are trying to, or teams are sitting there. Obviously Carolina already made that move. I would say we're either talking about will Levis, could they get to, you know, eight or nine, if Levis were to fall, if he even gets that far, or probably more likely we're talking about Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. I know the the knock on him is that he's an older prospect. He's 24, but so is Kenny Pickett. He was an older guy, you know, five-year guy at Pitt. So we're probably talking quite quite a bit about, you know, could you try to trade up to move up for Levis and Hendon Hooker as, as kind of the two guys for Pittsburgh? Yeah, and, and and Jim, not to not to really discount the question overall, but I mean, it it, it really is a useless exercise at this point. You know, it, it will be fun to see where these and look. Uh, will the Ravens take a quarterback early? Yeah, you just had I think the cost to say they're looking at the position now. Some of that might be some of the posturing, and you know they're still trying to get a deal done with Lamar Jackson, but that's going to be something to watch. Uh, Brian Tolini writes in, "Happy Friday, Dave and Alex." 
I got Alex's thoughts last week in his mailbag. Now I'd like to hear Dave's thoughts or just an overall discussion on most likely pick at 17, uh, Brian Brzee. Uh, look, my, my thoughts on Brian Brzee, if anything, have kind of deteriorated some in the probability aspect. Uh, No doubt. And I still stand by the fact that they, 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 they like this kid. Okay. I just wonder if they 17 like him (laughs) Um, (laughs) because of the tape, because of the shorter arms and because of the injury history there, Uh, they're going to like him as a person, as a younger player, uh, all the traits about him, uh, his tape to, 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 to a larger degree is okay. Uh, overall, once again, you know, I, I go back to saying, you know, you make several different faces the more tape that you watch on him. Uh, uh, you, there's no way, shape, or form can you rule him out, I don't think, as a possibility at 17 because he does check a lot of boxes. It's just when you dig deeper into kind of si- some of the minor, uh, minute details with him, uh, the injury history. And look, this is a guy that starting off in the draft season, I, people had – I think going top five, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Top 10. That's, that's how far. And we, we hardly talk about this guy right now uh, because of the flushing at the flush flushing out of the, 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 the class and all like that. So uh, is the probability there with Brian Brzee at 17? Absolutely. Uh, I have kind of, I like it more. And I think I've said this for several weeks now. I like it more at 32 than I do at 17. <laughs> I feel like we say that about a lot of potential guys. At That's why I'm hoping they trade Jones, back. Right? I want them to trade sure. back you know? <laughs> to make it easier. Yeah. I mean, but there really is not a consensus guy. We agree upon at 17. I mean, Joey Porter jr. If he's there, you know, it's kind of the popular thought, but aside from him, you know, there really is not you know, last year. It was quarterback year before it was Najee Harris, you know, said in 2019, it was, you know, they love Devin Bush. Um, we don't really have that scenario this year. I guess the, the concern I have is, how do we define the guy that's good at 32 and not at 17? And if they really like a guy at 32, you know, why couldn't they like a guy at sure. 17? It's only, you know, 15 spots. Sure. And that's why I think that you cannot totally discount the possibility of Brian Brzee at 17. Right. So I certainly struggle with that. Um, but I think he checks those boxes and I mean, he's got the hearts and smarts and he's Mm -hmm. got really the athleticism profile. And, uh, to some degree, you know, he's the, the, the tape's good enough. I think to qualify for that, it's just some of the, the, the fine, the finer details, right. The are, you know, some of the measurables, uh, the injury history, uh, uh, that, that kind of stuff there, but you no, know, unequivocally, I don't think if you're building a list of players that could be the pick at 17, I, I do believe that Brian Brzee needs to be on that list. I agree. Uh, let's see here. Taylor Carpenter. Uh, this is a long e- email here. Great job on the draft coverage this year. Long time listener, outstanding job in the draft. I'm a draft nut and I've done, been doing at least a couple of seven round PFF mocks. Biggest takeaway. Biggest takeaway from all my my mocks is that without trading down is is it is next to impossible to address all the Steelers' needs. The front office has done a nice job in free agency to open up the draft board and not pigeonhole themselves, but due to subpar drafting the last few years, the Steelers find themselves in need of a serious influx of talent in nearly all position groups aside from running back, he says. When looking at the positions of need, I break it down into three categories. He says must draft. Uh, one slot corner, one offensive tackle, uh, one three tech defensive end. 
I, it's hard to disagree with that, right? As far as must draft. Yeah, I think those are all important positions. Um, something along the D line, maybe somebody who can play zero tech and three tech. I mean, I I I agree. It, it feels hard to fill all those positions. I feel like we say that every single year. I remember last year having the same conversation about how to fill all those spots. So you, it, it's almost like you could never have enough draft picks. Which, to your point, is kind of why we are all for you know trading back as a general rule. Give yourself more picks, more chances to hit, more chances to fill needs. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea, but I do feel like the conversation comes up this year. And I imagine Pittsburgh's not the only team saying, man, we can't fill all of our needs with our draft picks. Uh, next uh, classification he has is uh, from the must draft. He goes to very high need and should draft outside cornerback, outside linebacker, wide receiver and defensive tackle. Yeah, again, all that seems reasonable. I mean, when I'm not, I don't want to like split hairs about what's a high versus a must versus a medium. Um, I think we've outlined the needs, you know, and the wants of this team pretty well. Uh, he closes up and saying, long story short, when you start looking at the numbers, I think there's a uh, very little chance the Steelers trade up in this draft and a very high likelihood they trade down to acquire additional picks. There are just too many holes to fill on a roster that is very top heavy with talent, but not deep with talent. Look, I I, I don't think you've stated anything wrong, Taylor, uh, in, in your email here. Uh, he says, my point at the fence shot call is a trade 32 to Seattle and get 37 123 and 198, giving them nine draft picks. Okay. Uh, Very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, if you got, if you, if you're going to point to the fence, point at it. <laughs> and, and, and he pointed out a slap in the fence, uh, right there. <laughs> not, not, not just that. But Taylor, look, I, I think overall uh, it's a long email. Don't want to get too much deeper in it because we're short on time here. Uh, I don't think anything that you put in your email sounds uh, uh, crazy whatsoever. And, there are a lot of, but you know, as Alex said, you could probably go back in in time and 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 maybe rubber stamp the kind of comment that you know there's not enough draft picks for 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 to, to fill all the holes here. Uh, but I, I do agree with your assessment here that I feel that they're more likely to trade down, especially early, than they are to trade trade uh, or trade back instead of trade up. Uh, early in this draft here. And I, and very rarely do I have a strong opinion on should they trade up or trade down. But this year I do find myself having a stronger opinion that I do believe they should trade down early to, to acquire some picks. How's that? Yeah, that's fair. And I, again, I'm, I'm team trade back and I don't think teams utilize that enough. The Patriots have been one of those teams. Granted, they've not been great at drafting. You still have to actually have a good process and hit on your picks, obviously. But I do like the the principle of trading down. I just think Khan may be more aggressive in that first year drafting as GM. Um, I just wonder how, how the reader got to Seattle at 37. I think about Seattle, that was like the team to, to pick there. I'm just curious on that. But uh, the last thing I would just say really quickly is Pittsburgh realizes the draft can't fill all of your needs. And if you're going in the draft with these giant voids and hoping that the draft will fill them completely, that's a really risky proposition. So that's why you're seeing all these signings, even some of the low-level guys like Fahoko and Neal. Just so if you can't draft a nose tackle or a safety run, you know, happens in front of you, you don't get a safety for whatever reason, you have some veteran guys that can at least be options, even if they're not ideal options. Um, Pittsburgh, I think it's done well to protect themselves with their veteran Parisian signings. And that's kind of a classic Kevin Colbert thing to do that you're seeing Omar Khan do as well. 
Uh, one last one from Jason Higgins. We'll wrap up. Hey, Dave and Alex, I know there's talk about taking a wide, a wide out this year. What's your take on Cedric uh, Tillman out of Tennessee in like the third or fourth round? Yeah, I hadn't watched him. I know that Hyatt gets all the attention there. Um, he's got some speed. Um, you know, he's like a four-four guy, vertical type. I think he's you know not the biggest guy, might be able to play inside out. So you know, he's a guy that can stretch the field a bit. So um, you know, point taken there. But I have not done the report and have not looked at him specifically to give a great answer. But yeah, I, I he, can he's see that. a six-three kid, isn't he? Six-three. Is he, two, t- is he bigger? Two, I thought he was small. Two hundred thirteen kid. Some. Uh, where is his measurements real quick? I could be wrong. As you can I, see, I think he's, I think he's a, a, a bigger kid here. Uh, what is he? Yeah, 6'3", 213. Okay, 6'3", 213. Now, I, I, if, if memory serves me, he doesn't have uh, you know the speed. So uh, you're probably a guy more along the lines of a big slot candidate. Yeah, I, I don't know how much he played inside out at, at Tennessee, so um, I'd have to go back and, and research him some more. Right, I haven't. I, I've just watched just surface stuff on him as well too. I've been busy with some. I like that Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss <laughs> uh, for sure. Okay, uh, that that gets us through some of these questions here. It takes us, uh, I don't know, close to a two hour mark with this podcast. So we will get back after it again on Monday. Uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, roundtable. Make sure to follow these guys on Twitter if you're not already. Read their uh, draft profiles up on SteelersDepot.com. And uh, once again, thanks uh, to Tyler Wise, Owen Straley, Ross McCorkle, and Joe Camaretto uh, uh, for their time today. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right na- uh, navigational bar. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad-free button up right navigational bar as well. Uh, thanks again for listening. Happy Friday. Happy it's Easter weekend, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Happy Easter, everybody. And as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.